Hi, Brandon. Blackie Lawless. Oh, wow. Hello. Look at that. That's my natural response to hearing from you. That's funny. How are you, sir? <laughs> this is Appetite for Distortion. Welcome to the podcast, Appetite for Distortion, episode 372. My name is Brando. Welcome to the podcast, Mr. Blackie Lawless. How are you, sir? I'm good, thanks, and thanks for having me. I really appreciate your time, especially since you're kind of a, a local boy to me. Uh, I'm. Are oh, you from Staten Island, right? I'm just. From, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm in Queens right now, in my little bunker. Uh, oh. Yeah. So we're both. I mean, it's funny because no, if, unless you're from New York, you don't get it. I mean, Staten Island really might as well be an island far away, you know, given the traffic. But still, you're you're from the area. So yeah. Uh, before, just I want to know, being from the area, kind of. Uh, before we get into the 40 years and the tour, just did you imagine as a, if I could put it this way, a, a baby blackie that you would be doing this for for 40 years? Did you envision doing music for 40 years your entire no, life? No, but I'll tell you what. The time that we lived in Staten Island was probably the most formative period of my life. You know, I mean, what happened? Well, you know, in the early 60s, we went through a period, pardon me, we went through a period in less than probably, uh, well, it was a three-month period. You have the assassination of JFK. You have the Beatles coming to America, you have Muhammad Ali beating Sonny Liston for the heavyweight championship of the world. In that period of time, I we looked back on it, and we could see that the world had changed, but at the same time, it, it's one of those unusual things that when it was happening, you knew something big was going on. Hmm. You know, so, you know, looking back on it, like I said, I mean, that was... Just that one period alone was, for me, you know, at eight years old, I mean, it's earth-shattering. Yeah, so I I can't imagine because I don't want to date yourself or date myself, but I'm 39. So I've been alive as old, basically, as, as, as Wasp. So I've lived through certain events like that. Um, if I can compare, you know, nine eleven, and of course, nine eleven, yeah, yeah, and then, and then the recent uh, pandemic we're all experiencing. So you've really lived quite a life thus far. You've experienced all these world changing events. Has that I, I, has that really affected the music? Because you've always seemed to be Blackie Lawless. You always seem to be my wasp. life has been, and I guess most people would probably think it's the same. But it wasn't until I've been working on a book for the last couple of years, an autobiography, and it wasn't until I started working on the book that I started looking at it and seeing, wow, this doesn't happen to most people. And none of it's made up. I didn't have to make any of it up. Sure. I mean, I was born literally in a swamp down in Florida. Okay. And if you've ever seen TV show Swamp People, 
Sure. Things like that. <laughs> and, and again, I'm not exaggerating. You know, so that was the first six years of my life. That's all I knew, and that was normal. Then we moved to New York City, and the next thing I see is I'm looking out my bedroom window at the Statue of Liberty. That was the next thing I remember seeing. Mm. Then, you know, fast forward a few years, I end up in Hollywood, and I'm living in a place, uh, the place where I slept. I was on people's floors for like the first year and a half. And then I was in my deluxe accommodations, which was three feet wide by 12 feet long. And it was just big enough for a match. It was a closet. But I could walk out that door and look up and stare straight ahead at the Hollywood sign. You know, so those were the three existences I knew. All of them incredibly extreme, but felt normal while I was going through it. It was, it's only until you look back and you reflect on it and you go, I've had these insane extremes in my life, but it's normal for me. And I don't think most people are, you know, could really, unless you walk a mile in those shoes, really understand, you know, the diversity of it. But the color that it gave me, you know, for life experiences and as a writer, being able to convert that into some sort of lyrics. Is there been has there been a constant throughout all these extremes? Has it been the music for you? Oh yeah, definitely it would be the music. Yeah, I mean that that's the common thread. I, when I was my first memory of anything in life, I was two, and it was hearing Chuck Berry "Sweet Little Sixteen for the first time. Hmm. And I've since the you know well I've, many times I've described the scene to my parents. And it's one of those things you think, well, was I, you know, was I imagining this or did it absolutely happen? And when I would describe the scene to them, they, you know, they would say, oh, yeah, we were living at such and such place at the time. We, we were sitting at the breakfast table, myself, my mother, my father. They were eating powdered donuts. And I was sitting in a high chair and I remember this thing coming on the radio and it's like I didn't know what it was. But the more I listened to it, the more it started moving through me. And to this day, when Sweet Little Sixteen comes on the radio, it gives me a strangely eerie feeling, but in a good way. That's great. You know, like something I knew and still know. It was, you know, some foreign language just somehow intuitively understood. I don't know what it says about me, but I have a similar experience when I was two. Apparently, I was in my crib bouncing up and down to wake me up before you go go. <laughs> so I don't know. We've had, you we have, and George Michael, huh? <laughs> we, okay. have, we have different lives, but uh, uh, yeah, right. No, that that's that's brilliant, and I, I love that. In fact, that you're you're doing it now, especially since you haven't toured the United States in quite some time. And you know, I mentioned I'm here in Queens. The the date that I saw closest to me is a great uh, venue, uh, the Paramount in Huntington. I used to live actually in Huntington. I don't anymore. Otherwise, I would have been easier uh-huh. to get to. Uh, but you said something. I was listening to your interview you did with Eddie Trunk, and you said something interesting when he kind of asked, like, "Why has it been so long?" And he mentioned it could be with promoters. You almost had to like sell them on you. Do you find that? And then the fans had to come to almost your rescue in a way, or without you even it wasn't, asking. It wasn't almost. It was right. absolute. It was the fan. You know. 
the fans did this. I've never seen anything like that. I and mean, for people wow. listening that don't know what we're talking about, please. Yep. Uh, promoters didn't think this band could sell tickets anymore, and so I mean, we were being offered, I mean, stuff that wasn't very good, and we didn't want to do that because the production that we wanted to do was way bigger. And so I just started telling the truth. I said, hey, you know, it's down to promoters. Any band, and I don't care who it is, any band will go anywhere if a promoter gives them a decent offer. And that's true. Sure. You know, and so I told the fans, I go, you know, hey, you know, <laughs> let your local guy know what's going on. Thinking, you know, it was almost like a passing thought. You know, this will never happen in a million years. <laughs> well, um, a couple of hundred of them literally got together and started petitioning. And then that grew into thousands of people. And they started literally rallying to petition their local promoters. And it brings us to where we are now. But I've never heard of anything before or since that was like that. You know, so I guess it goes back to the old adage, you know, don't let people tell you that you just being one person makes a difference or won't make a difference. Because it did. It clearly. That's the absolute truth. I've never seen anything like this before. That is brilliant. And that's so rock and roll. I think it would be different maybe with uh, a younger artist. You get on TikTok, social media. But I, you, you said you've been doing this for so long. I mean, you might not have gotten that spark from fans. You didn't expect it. And I, the rest of us are reaping the benefits. Right? Finally, I'm going to be experienced uh, Wasp Live. And um, you're kicking off the U.S. tour, I believe in a few weeks. Right. Yeah, in, in a few weeks. Uh, and you also announced a VIP uh, package, which is pretty cool. They get to meet you, and mm -hmm. they get to meet the famous Elvis. <laughs> Can we talk about the mic stand that, I mean, you could describe yeah, sure. it. It's a, a vertebrae, skull and crossbones monstrosity. I love it. Well, it started out as, as one thing, and it just kind of morphed. I mean, over the years, it grew and grew, and I mean, where the idea came from was we were in a, I was in a hotel one day and, you know, I was moving one of the doors and down at the bottom, a lot of times you see those spring, um, door stops that keep, you know, with the rubber tip, oh, yeah, yeah. the door from, or from the door handle crashing into the wall and, you know, caving in the, the drywall and it hit, something hit the bottom of that spring and it went <laughs> like that. And I looked at it. And it's, it was very similar to the saw blades when we first did that. I saw a saw blade laying up in the corner, and it's like, that's the artistic brain doing what it does. One, you know, an idea goes through that filter, it comes out totally different on the other side. And I thought, you know, that'd be funny, you know, if you could do something like that. And so, really, I, I thought, well, okay, this, it's a spring. And then we started looking around at ideas, and I saw a kid's hobby horse that you would see on a spring out in the middle of a of a park somewhere. And I thought, well, okay, let's try that. And we did, and it didn't work well. And it ended up having to go through a bunch of different arc incarnations to where it is now. But uh, I wanted something that I could literally get on top of and ride in a circle <laughs> during the show. And it took a while to get it to the point where it is now, but... Uh, you know, you, we can literally do that. I mean, there's, let's put it this way, it's the world's only $10,000 microphone. <laughs> That's so brilliant. Oh, I, I love it. Uh, people are not just me excited, and it's so funny. I, I'll keep it in the podcast somehow, my 
natural reaction was, hey, it's Blackie Lois. Oh, hey, hi. I'm here preparing questions, ready to go. And just a natural excitement for me is uh, also relayed and fell through my, my listeners. So if you don't mind me asking some questions via uh, the listeners. Sure. You know, because doing these things, I find with, with journalists or whoever it may be, if you can make them conversational, those are always the best ones. That was As that- opposed to somebody reading, you know, hi, what do you, you know, some newspaper guy who's got to fill up a quarter of a page who doesn't want to be there in the first place. You know, like I said, the conversational ones are always better. Yeah, I don't enjoy that. I mean, just quick sidebar, and, and, and not like it's anything to toot my horn about, but I have a, a degree in broadcast journalism. I've, I've seen those question answer, and I've, I never fit into it. I never enjoyed it. But I have a, you know, I'll make bullet it's points. It's rigid. That's the problem. You it's, know, like yeah, it's said, too, anytime you right. can, if you can get an artist to engage in conversation, you're going to learn more about them doing that than anything else. Oh, sure. <laughs> I mean, I have bullet points, of course, and my listeners help me out with, uh, sure, of course. with that. <laughs> and, and one of which, I don't know if you noticed the name of this podcast, Appetite for Distortion. Kind of, I thought that name is terrific. Th- thank you. Thank you. Rachel Boland also complimented that uh, my, the name from Skid Row. Thank you. Very, very clever. So uh, with that, I got some, of course, Guns N' Roses related questions, because uh, otherwise I'm just a rock talk podcast. I got to make it a little different. Uh, so I got a couple. I'll give a credit to, to Connie from Greece and uh, Ivan. I, I forget where he's from. But Sebastian Bach wrote in his book, that back in the day when him and Axel Rose would hang out and jump in Axel's car, that uh, Axel would be blasting "I Want to Be Somebody." That he would always be blasting Wasp. Do you know? Did you know that, or did you ever get a chance yeah. to meet? A- okay, did you ever yeah, get a chance because, to meet Axel? Yeah, sure. I mean, our road crew that was our local road crew before we started touring the world ended up working with them when they started playing the Troubadour in L.A. And I remember we came home in like 86 after the second tour and we saw, you know, our, our old crew guys and they said, yeah, we're working with this new band and, you know, Guns N' Roses and we really think they're going to be something, you know, but these guys used to come to the Troubadour when we were playing originally and would watch you guys and, you know, they, they thought, you know, you guys were the best thing since any, since whatever, you know. And so, yeah, and, and then, and later, um, after their first album came out, I was in a club one night in Hollywood, and Axel came up and introduced himself. And I didn't really know them from the record yet. I just knew them from our old crew telling me about them. Okay. And he said, yeah, you know, he goes, I just wanted to tell you, you know, we're huge fans. But he says, in reality, he says, we have this song called Welcome to the Jungle. And he says, you know, it seems to be doing good. You know, it's getting a lot of airplay. And he says, I just wanted to let you know, he said that your your record inside the Electric Circus gave us the idea for Welcome to the Jungle. And I said, well, what do you mean by that? He says, well, he says, we looked at the idea of circus, and there's animals in the circus, and jungle, you know, and there's chaos and all that. And he says, we just kind of looked at it, and he says, that's where the idea came from. Hmm. Wow. What did that mean to you to hear that? I mean, or what does it mean to you now, I guess, to, to look back and you're to have Axl Rose. I mean, he's doing it all these years later as well. The, the biggest bands in, in the world of all time. What did that mean to you for him to single you out and be like, your, your band meant something to me 
and you inspired to me to write one of the best songs ever. I guess you just take it in stride. Um, You're humble. I really don't think about it. Yeah, you probably, and, and it's probably not just me. I would imagine most artists, when they look at uh, at people that are their peers, we probably see it a little differently than maybe you know the average person out there. That's fair. Because yeah, you know, I mean, these are people you know and you have associations with them, and um, you know, it might not have the same sort of impact, you know, when you're talking to your peers. But, you know, every once in a while, you'll see somebody do their thing, and then you realize how they got to where they are, because they are special. You know, but um, like I said, for the most part, when it's people you know and you're working with, it might not have the same effect. It's hard to say. Okay. No, I completely understand that, and sometimes I have to sit back, because it, it gets it kind of ties into no matter how many hundreds of interviews I do it's hard for me to escape that fandom of looking at you know even you you're you're very humble regular guy and but i'm still like wow this is blackie lawless but you're a regular guy so uh well the reputations precede themselves you know when someone whether it's me or whoever it might be whenever somebody's had a long time of that lore Mm -hmm. if you like you know that precedes them you know some of it true some of it not um that always has an effect on people. Yeah, that that is uh, that is certainly uh, true as well. There was a couple things you did mention uh, within that conversation. I guess uh, it's an, it'll be a nice segue because 40th anniversary, not just of the band ups, uh, itself, but of those Troubadour shows, right? I guess when they came to to see you. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. So I want to. This is via another listener. This is from uh, Richie Anderson from Melbourne, Australia. Uh, he would love to know: Is it true that the Troubadour Club uh, still has the burn marks on the ceiling from the Burning Wasp logo in the early days? I went in there the other night, the anniversary of the 40th. I had not been there for almost 30 years, mm. and it, it's a little bit like graduating from your high school. You think, well, you know, you'd like to go back, and you do for a little bit after you graduate. But your life takes you in different directions, you know, and you don't really get back as much as, as you might want to. But I went back in there the other night for the first time in, you know, well over a couple of decades, and those burn marks are still in the ceiling. <laughs> That's so cool. We are so fortunate <laughs> that something really disastrous did not happen. Mm. You know, but, uh, I mean, that monstrosity of that sign we created, you know, I mean, the flames would come off that thing six feet high and if you can see visible flames coming off something six feet high <laughs> the heat that comes off that's another 12 feet oh wow yeah, you know, yeah. so it's like 18 feet you know a real intense heat you're getting and it didn't you know we played there with the sign probably you know seven or eight times and it didn't happen over the course of the first one or two shows but over that three-month period we were playing there, it started to char those beams a little bit. And it doesn't, it doesn't look like a fire where they've been charred, but if you know what to look for, you look up there and you see they're dark in one particular area. <laughs> and that was, we left our mark, literally. It's almost like the best metaphor for the band. Um, uh, yes, yeah. It, it, it's... Because you said something also, this, one of the things that I did to prepare for this interview was listen to the recent one you did it with uh, with Eddie Trunk and you know it's like it, 
it really parallels to your uh, personality here with the humbleness. So, you know, Wasp was never the biggest band of all time, but you've, you made your mark, you know, it's, it's there. And even for someone like me, who is, who is as old as the band, I'm sorry. You know, I still remember seeing Blind in Texas on VH1 Classic, and that's how it made me get into it, and, or watching uh, uh, The Decline of Western Civilization Part 2 and, 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 and just going back. You know, I'm obviously doing a GNR podcast, so it was in my wheelhouse uh, as mm-hmm. far as the, the music I liked. So uh, just brilliant that all these years later uh, that you're still uh, still doing it. And you said the show is going to be uh, unlike anything you've ever done before. I believe I'm quoting, will sound and feel different than anything we've ever done before. Is there any way to describe that before we can experience it? People are going to walk in. I mean, this is going to sound like sales fish, but I'm just <laughs> going to tell it to you straight. People are going to walk in. We are taking an arena-sized show in two theaters. And you're going to walk in, and you're going to see this thing that looks like some sort of an old carnival from the 1930s. There's these circus banners all around us. And they're stacked two and three levels high, and they go up 16 feet by 30 feet across. It's huge. And you're going to walk in, and this is going to look like an old, spooky 1930s carnival geek show slash road warrior slash voodoo ceremony. Whoa. And it is a combination or a hybrid of all of those things. And, I mean, it, it looks really cool. I mean, it is, it's unlike anything any band has done. No band has done this before. And I'm usually re- reserved about saying things like that because it sounds like a hype. But this is true. Nobody's done this before. Not that I'm aware and of. It's, it, it's a really, really cool idea. And then partway during the show, you're going to see some of those Banners are four of them will come down and reveal these huge video screens, and so the videos will be playing throughout the night. In the midst of the this circus, uh, you're going to be when you walk in, you're going to smell cotton candy mm. because there's thing there, there's a way that we can get that scent into the audience. It's cotton candy and popcorn, and so you're going to walk in and you're going to smell this and you're going to see this. And it is, uh, it's pretty cool. Well, I hope I mean, we this, can also is, buy the popcorn and cotton candy. I mean, it all sounds well, great. That's up to, that's up to the, the, the vendors okay. at the <laughs> venue. You know, we don't have, believe me, that joke has been floated many times already amongst our crew here, but uh, we wouldn't get any concession over it. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. I mean, that sounds awesome. And it, it's, I guess, two last questions because that parlays into the fact that you're, uh, kicking off this much-anticipated U.S. tour in October, Halloween. I'm a Halloween guy. You're making it sound like I'm going to walk into Killer Clowns from Outer Space for your show, which is my favorite movie of all time. Uh, you grew up? Uh, are you a big horror guy? And if so, what's your favorite horror? Actually, I'm not. No? I love Halloween, but I've never really been big into horror movies. Okay. I mean, when when I was a kid, we we were living on Staten Island. Um, I collected all those old Aurora models and would paint them. You know, I had Wolfman and Dracula and Frankenstein. And all. I loved all that stuff. You know, I just thought most horror movies weren't very good. <laughs> okay. You know, um, occasionally something will come out that is unique, you know, that really will then create a genre for 20 years to come. 
but those are few and far between. You know, so for the most part, like I said, I mean, I thought a lot of the stuff that came out of the 1930s and 40s, the old Universal uh, movies, you know, whether it was Dracula or, or the werewolf, things like that, or Wolfman, mm-hmm. uh, to me, those were far more inventive than a lot of the stuff you see now, you know, but that's just my personal taste. That's that's cool. I, I enjoy the whole gamut of horror from the 30s into today, I mean, especially the... I mean, those are the originals of horror. Those are the classic uh, characters. Well, they used their imagination. Plus, you know, it, it wasn't a benefit to them at the time. I'm sure they didn't think. But them having to shoot in black and white gave them the ability to use that contrast of the different shades of gray between the black and the white and the shadows that created... Mm-hmm. And all that. I mean, there's just, if you see really high quality black and white from that period, there's nothing like it. I mean, it is, it's pristine. Yeah, very underrated, absolutely. Just because, don't be scared of black and white. Don't be uh, scared of captions. I mean, there's a lot of great uh, stuff mm-hmm. out there. But that's interesting. Sure. And the, the last question, and I'll ask via a fan so I can blame him for it. He says, ask him the obvious question. Do, do you know what the obvious question is? Well, there's several, but you tell me which okay, one. Okay, okay. <laughs> no, because I, I joke, which you don't have to answer. I joke like, you know, blank like a beast. I'm not asking him that. He's like, no, no, no. Uh, something more mundane. What does WASP stand for? Or does it stand for something different to you in, in 2022? Does it still stand for we ain't sure, pal? <laughs> or you Well, know, that's the, the running joke. I know. We ain't sure, pal. I mean, we thought that was hysterical. It is know? funny. I mean, we are sexual perverts off the first album, but I mean, is it is it still? Do you still not like answering that question? I guess and leave it up to interpretation. Well, no, it's not not liking to answer because when we did it, we didn't have an idea. Okay, we wanted a name that was controversial without really being controversial, and that's where the periods really became such a stroke of genius because you know it ends up being this thing, and people look at it. And, you got to remember, no band had ever done that before. We were the first band to ever use periods. And so people would look and go, well, what the heck does that mean? And we thought, okay, well, whatever you want it to mean, that's what it is. You know, so it, to try to, to say, you know, white Anglo Saxon Protestant, which is where the original definition came from, right. we said, okay, well, then that works, but that really doesn't fit us. Hmm. You know, so it's like, you know, what could this be? And we never thought that it would create the questioning and the controversy. And, I mean, it's 40 years later, people (laughs) still asking that question. (laughs) And it's not that I don't want to answer it. I mean, we had no specific idea. We put the We Are Sexual Perverts on the, the inside surround of the first album, if people don't know what that is when you're looking at an album. It's the the blank port. It's the blank part, just before you get to the label, and you can scratch in ID numbers and things which they do from the factory a lot of times. Well, you can scratch in messages there too if you want. And so we put we are sexual perverts because we knew it would drive people crazy, <laughs> you know. But that was just our sense of humor. Oh, I love it. I love the the sense of humor of Wasp. Uh, the music of Wasp is so rocks. I'm glad that you're. We're all glad and after all these years, and I understand all the variables that go into it, but you're, you're able to tour 
Uh, I know you had some rescheduled dates for the European tour, but you know, knock on wood, everything's going to go swimmingly. And uh, I know this is phone. Otherwise, if we were doing Zoom, I would introduce you to my cat, Blackie Clawless. <laughs> I, I, I talk about him all the time on the podcast. I actually just did a, a guest spot on, on uh, the Guitar Dads podcast. I'll give them a shout out. And he was meowing at me really loud for his food. And it picked up on the mic and everything. He's great. But uh, he's a tuxedo cat, but he says hello. He did exist. I just want you to know there's a cat named Blackie Clawless. Well, give him a scratch on the head for me. <laughs> I will absolutely do that. Uh, Blackie Lawless, thank you so much for your time. Uh, just continue just being awesome. And I hope we get to do this again. I'm sure we will at some point. Awesome. All right. Well, thanks for having me. I sure appreciate it. You got it. Thank you for your time. Wow. I, I know I say this a lot, but what a nice guy. It's just one of these interviews that just makes me a bigger fan of the band and the person after the fact. And I'll admit to you, I almost tweeted it before, uh, 15 minutes before the interview started as I was recording this. Just to admit to, because I appreciate when Slash admits or Axel talks about being nervous. I get nervous, man. I was nervous for this one. Legit nervous. Same like with, uh, with Dave Mustaine. You, know, you have this perception of people and it's not right. You know, people might perceive Blackie to be the guy that he was in the 80s or just made up bullshit or whatever it is. And not like I thought he was going to be that guy, but just didn't think he would be as friendly. <laughs> I answered the phone. Oh, wow. What a, oh my God, what a teeny bopper I am. Like, how did that happen? Because I just get so, I was going to live stream too before the Instagram, maybe to get some, uh, some last minute questions for Blackie. And I'm like, no, no, I get nervous. I got to focus on this interview. And <laughs> uh, clearly <laughs> I can still get like, oh, wow, he called me? Like that still happened. He was like three minutes late, if you want to even call that being late. Uh, just what an awesome interview. And yeah, hope to get him back on again to, to talk perhaps some, some more Guns N' Roses in the early days. But definitely wanted to catch up on, you know, uh, just learn more about him and catch up on what he has planned for the the tour, uh, the worldwide tour. Because I know here on a podcast, we are worldwide, and I'm very grateful to have a worldwide audience. Whenever I've been on the radio, yeah, I, you can stream that radio station anywhere in the world. But for the most part, you have your audience. You know, it could be friends on my friends in Long Island, or when I had friends at Cape Cod, friends at Poughkeepsie. Um, Anywhere, even West Palm Beach, even when I never, I never moved down there, but I had a show down there and I made social media friends just from doing that. Uh, interesting. But now this is just a worldwide podcast and it's, yeah, we're going to enjoy Wasp together over the next, uh, which sounded so weird, over the next uh, couple of years because they're just a really cool band. It's a really cool band. And I mean, they got the Axel seal of approval. Uh, but I want to focus on the worldwide thing because as far as what is to come uh, on the podcast, uh, what's been great is the the interviews I get to do with you, not just with the rock stars, uh, but with you. So the the last interview when we did, uh, we spoke to fans from Brazil and Argentina. Uh, we're going to do something from, we're going to we'll speak with somebody from Colombia, uh, Nicholas. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. I'm going to start... If you listen to the last episode, I just have a real issue with accents. Not that I have a problem with them. I just can't. My mouth doesn't work properly. 
which out of context, that's, that's like a weird sentence to, to say, but it just doesn't work properly to say it as Nicolas Marine. But either way, he's uh, super excited. He reached out and he wants to have a full review of both shows. He's going to both shows in Colombia, uh, photos, videos. So maybe we'll do this on, we're going to do this on Zoom. So I, I'm, I'd like to think he'll show us on the, on the web, on the screen share. So that's going to be really cool. And he's going to share a bunch of facts about the history of GNR in Colombia. Oh, I love it. I'm excited. So yeah, if you want to do that, if you want to talk about Gun to Roses in your country or when they come back to the United States, when I I did the tour, uh, when I did the fan reviews the first time around, the Gun to Roses, the, the history in your state. Because basically the history of Guns N' Roses from where you're from. If you want to talk about that, reach out to the podcast because there are some really amazing untold stories that you wouldn't know about because they weren't told by the guys in the band. They weren't told by some ancillary character. They're told by the fans. And you're not going to get that story anywhere else other than here because something else I, I hear a lot, I have to talk to you, Brando, about this because I'm driving my wife crazy. I'm driving my friends crazy. No one wants to talk to Guns like, like Guns of Roses like you. Um, yeah, <laughs> I guess so. And so I, I have no problem being your your Guns of Roses outlet to, to tell your stories. But in between those, yeah, we're going to keep getting great guests. I just don't know when they're going to happen. Did not know Blackie Lawless was going to happen. So maybe... I got like a confirmation maybe a few days ago, but I needed that second confirmation and I got that yesterday. And you just never know if it's going to happen. And I had reached out maybe a year ago and it wasn't the right time. So just following up and see what happens. And just a reminder, uh, if you're a new fan, because I'm sure Blackie's going to bring in a lot of new fans, even though I keep getting great guests and doing really fun episodes this year, I haven't been going out of my way to do them because... Hopefully, by the beginning of next year, I will have uh, my second front tooth back. I hate to say it, you know, so many of you, when I have brought it up, like uh, I wouldn't have noticed until you bring it up. I, I'm telling you, I still hear the lisp. Uh, I hate doing the, I don't want to say I hate doing it because it's my choice to do Zoom interviews when you face to face. This was just a, a phone only option, but I'm, I'm hiding behind the microphone so I don't, you know, look like a like a hockey player. <laughs> it's just it's just not my style right now. So I'm just not putting myself out there. And this is what's happening when I don't put myself out there. I get Blackie Lawless. I get great stories from you, the Gazeroses fans. So nothing stopping this podcast. Nothing slowing it down. So in between the broadcasts, in between rock stars, in between your stories, social media is how the conversation continues. Uh, Facebook.com slash the AFD show. Instagram, you search for uh, Appetite for Distortion. And please, I encourage you, if you like YouTube at all, uh, if you don't have an account, just make one. Bullshit. And then subscribe to Appetite for Distortion. Because not only do we now have 372 episodes of this podcast, of interviews and and talking full episodes, over 300 I've made of clips, of highlights, like two minutes, basically like two minutes and 20 seconds. I try to make it around what Twitter allows for the most part, of oh, videos. I put compilations up there. So subscribe. That's kind of how I'm making my, the small amount of money I make off this podcast is to, now I'm making it through YouTube. So you can help that out by subscribing, liking a video, sharing it, commenting. 
and there is a lot there, again, more than just the interviews. There are highlights if you want to sit there for, hey, you know what, I don't have an hour, but oh, man, I just put up a really good one that you may have forgotten about, Doug Greon. This was like episode 90-something. He was the he was in the wildabouts with Scott Weiland. He was a songwriting partner in Velvet Revolver and, and Stone Temple Pilots. And he told the story about how Scott would just be on so many prescription drugs and at one time it just had it was the inspiration for Love and the Alien for Velvet Revolver. Some of you may remember that story, but I don't know, not everyone does. So check it out. Appetite for Distortion on YouTube. Oh, and something else I want to mention uh, as well. If you friend us on Facebook, you can always send stars on videos, which are, uh, I guess, small monetary donations. And it's the same thing on YouTube that you can make small monetary donations. I don't like doing this part of it. Every social media person, my my Patreon, this and that. I even have a Patreon. I don't even talk about it. Your Your money is more important to you than it is to me. And that's how I feel. So that's why I will never officially ask that. But if you feel so inclined, I'm just letting you know these things are available. <laughs> See, I have, I do, unlike Blackie Lawless, I have a terrible sales pitch. I'm just not that guy. But it is what it is. Uh, so until next time, when we see the next episode of Appetite for Distortion, well, in the words of Axel Rose concerning Chinese democracy, you'll see it, I don't know, soon as the word. security, I'm going home.